Hey, what's up? This is Isadora from The Legendary Tales. Just dropping in before you listen to the full episode because in it you will hear that Adam and I talked a little bit about our new website and merchandise and things like that. And I just wanted to confirm because we weren't very sure when we were talking and recording yesterday. The website is thelegendarytalespod.com and there's lots of cool things on there and you'll be able to submit artwork and tell us some suggestions and really allows us to start building a legendary community. All right, thanks. Enjoy the episode. Hey, what's up, people? This is the Legendary Tales podcast. I am Isadora, one of your hosts, and I am joined by the amazing Adam. Hey, hello. Who is yawning because we only had like 20 minutes chatting before we started recording (laughs) for him to do that. Preparing for this for an hour. I know. So today we are doing a fan-centric episode, which means that we are going to be talking about a couple of things that people recommended. Because you're all legends. Yep. Um, And normally, as we are going to do today, the Legendary Tales focuses on cool stories, people, and things in history and the not-so-distant history that have become legendary in our culture for some reason or another. Yep. Sometimes it's creatures. Sometimes it's... Usually events. Lots of events. People. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know, a little bit of everything. Yeah. And today well, we're taking your recommendations. Yeah. Uh, so I'm starting, and thank you, Casey Taylor, for the suggestion of Dyatlov Pass. By the way, we kind of fought over this a little bit because I was going to do it originally, and yeah. then Adam was like, nope. I think you were going to do a... A bonus. A bonus episode, but this was before we got the other suggestions, so I'm kind of glad we held out so we could do a full episode on it. So thank you again, Casey, for the suggestion. This was super interesting to dig into, um, and hopefully I do it some justice. Yep. For those people that sent us messages on our DMs this week and identified themselves as our amazing reviewers, we really, really appreciate it. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, as it is, we got locked out of our Instagram account this week, so yes. we only just got in yes. back into it. So we will respond, um, and we will get last week's podcast art, podcast art up. Yep. Wow, try saying that five times fast. I would, but I won't. And I think very officially, by the time you guys are listening to this... Fingers crossed, all things hoping, mm-hmm. uh, the website will be up and running. Yep. Which means you can go to the Legendary Pod or the Legendary Tales Pod. <laughs> Shouldn't even announce this because we don't even have a URL nailed down yet. Yeah, we do. Well, it's one of the two. One, one will direct other. you to the other, um, and I'll get them directing. But those will be up. We are 99% of the way there, I think, with our merchandise stuff. Oh, Fingers yeah. crossed. Yeah, yeah. We, I think we're just waiting to hear back from a, an artiste, aren't we? Yes, and actually, one of our amazing people who reached out to us said she has some pretty good artistic abilities. Oh, awesome. So I am thinking I'm going to yeah. pull her in and see what we can do and with that. again, we would love to... To collaborate with any of our fans so if you if you are hearing this for the first time we are extending our hands and begging you to yep. do some art for us because that'd be amazing yeah as it is last week was a weird week um yeah and we know that people are catching up i can see it in our numbers that for obvious reasons thursday friday saturday sunday last week no one was really listening to podcasts on guy fawkes and the other uh, one the other one Oh, yeah, Helltown. Helltown, Ohio. Uh, Because, well, everyone was dealing with their own versions of Helltown. Yeah, everyone was a bit busy. this week, things are looking better. Yeah. We got potentially a COVID vaccine. Yeah, 90% effective. That's exciting. Yeah. We have potentially a Biden president. Yes. 90%. 90% of a Biden presence, <laughs> Whatever that means. So uh, hopefully everyone's feeling like they can go down some uh, rabbit holes with us again this week. Yes. So Adam's first up with yeah. one of my favorite rabbit holes. Yeah, so Diatlov Pass incident. I think this might be, by the way, the first time that we've done 
a topic where you researched it, but I actually know Maybe. some about it. I mean, it's possible. Because usually I, we have no idea what the other one's going to yeah. do. This one was, was completely new to me. It's cool. Yeah. I'm excited um, to get your take on it. And I will say that I'm going to start with my sources. Uh, Atlas Obscura, the BBC, wrote a really good article. I wish I'd written the journalist's name down, wrote in somewhere. Snopes, The Times, and the Russian Public Opinion Research Center. That famous. Are all sources that I used. And The Atlantic, but I'm mad at them uh, in this episode. So. <laughs> he did warn me. He said, are you all right if the end of when I've talked, I just rail on The Atlantic for a <laughs> few for a minutes? a little bit. And it's not The Atlantic. I mean, like, I'm not the biggest fan of The Atlantic, but, like, this one specific journalist really, like, kind of, like, irked me a bit. So we might, we might go into that a little okay. bit. Okay. So, so a phrase that came up a lot while I was researching the incident is an insurmountable force of nature. Um, and this is sort of an important phrase because... People have called me that in the past. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> um, it's very important because this phrase is sort of the reason why a lot of the, the myth around the incident sort of took off as quickly yeah. as it did. So I'm going to start with a bit of background. In February of 1959, nine students from the Ural Polytechnical Institute in Russia went on a hiking and backcountry skiing trip in the Ural Mountains. Which I didn't know this. It's the mountain range that separates Europe and Asia. Uh, and they died on the slopes of Njort via Vrishina, which is uh, translated to Dead Mountain or Death Mountain or Death on the mountain or something. Aptly named. Uh, but this is actually a mistranslation from Mansi. Mansi is the indigenous tribal people of that continent. It actually means mountain with swirling wind, which is a lot nicer than dead mountain. Also foreshadowing. Oh, yeah, it's also foreshadowing. But people think that it's a mistranslation either because they mistranslated it or because they wanted to sort of give it a bit of a ooh, dead yeah. mountain sort of deal. When the students died, the Soviet officials came out immediately and said that the students had died from hypothermia and physical trauma. The bodies were found outside of their tents in various states of dress, and so the Soviets were like, there was probably an avalanche. The students got scared, and they fled their tent and were unfortunately buried under the snow and died from exposure. However, due to the strange circumstances of their death, including the locations of their bodies and the rather graphic details of their mm -hmm. death, including missing eyes and missing tongues, as well as physical trauma with no exterior wounds. This led to a lot of, Ooh. yes, a lot of conjecture by the people. Um, and according to The Atlantic and this article, in a country where 57% of the population believe that the Apollo moon landing was a hoax, it creates the perfect atmosphere for what is one of the most talked about and contested events of the 21st century. Cool. Um, and that is according to the Russian Public Opinion Research Center. That's yeah. where the actual 57% of the population okay. don't believe that the Apollo moon landing was real. Yeah. Which is a crazy number. However, we need to put this into context. Okay. We do, always. And we need to talk about Russians and the Soviet Union. What's the number of Americans that believe the moon landing was... I'm like, sure it's in the high 40s. I'm sure okay. it's at least 50%. You tell people. me. I'll quickly Google that while you tell me about, about the, okay. Russians. So basically until the 90s, mm -hmm. which was when, I believe it was that like Nikolai Gorbachev basically started to move Russia toward, toward like a social democracy. Okay. Um, the USSR covered up a lot of things. I mean, we've talked about... Well, yeah. We've talked about Chernobyl yeah. already. Um. And that they was were a, not famous for... For, being, for disclosing things no. immediately. The people who were living in Kiev, which was 
one of the most radiated cities after Chernobyl, mm-hmm. didn't even know that they were supposed to be, like, leaving until days after Chernobyl had yeah. already okay. spread horrible radiation all over the place. Yeah. So when these students died, it was largely, it wasn't published in any newspapers, and a lot of government officials weren't talking about it. So um, it's 10% of Americans. Know. That's a lot. That's a much lower number than I expected. Much lower a number. One in 10 Americans, we according that, to PC Magazine. It's because we put that rocket into outer space, though. Yeah, that helps. I think that, like, if the Russians had, if Sputnik had... had yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And they landed on yeah. the moon. Okay, sorry. That's all right. Um, so basically, we have a legacy in Russia of the government lying to its people and covering things up, or maybe yeah. just at the, the, the best... Yeah. Not disclosing things. Mm-hmm. So in the 90s, when all this information started to come out, um, people were like, this is straight. Like, why, if it was an avalanche, why didn't anyone in the, why didn't anyone in the public hear about it until 30 years later? Yeah. I mean, the Russians covering stuff up was like one of the major topics of West Wing episodes and stuff like yes, that. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's not, and this is where I'll get into the Atlantic article at the end. It's not crazy to, to think that this conspiracy theory would live on yeah. and live in a very and have some legs. in a very real way because this year they're still talking about it. Mm-hmm. They're like it developments are still coming out. Yeah. So on February 1st, 1959, Igor Dyatlov, which is Dyatlov Dyatlov's pass is named after him, the leader of an expedition of this expedition, he's a grade 2 mountaineering Okay. Guy, which is the highest grade of mountaineering that Russia was giving to people at this point. All right, cool. Uh, it basically meant you had to walk something like 300 miles. Oh, so you'd be. I'd, I'd have it a couple of times. You'd be that. <laughs> he went out with uh, eight of his friends, mm-hmm. Yuri Doroshenko, Lyudmila Dubanina, Georgi Krivonoshenko, Alexander Kolobatov, Zineda Komagorovova, Rustem Salabodin, Nikolai Thibo Brinolier. Uh, he's got a French last name. Okay. <laughs> Simon Zalatoroyov and Yuri Yudin. Um, I've mispronounced all of those, but I said them quickly to throw you off guard. I'm impressed that you even tried. Uh, Yuri Yudin. I'd have just gone with it. <laughs> <laughs> I with some people. Yuri Yudin was the sole survivor. Uh, he left early due to some medical troubles. Mm. They boarded a sleeper train for the mountains from Sverdlovsk on the 1st of Jan... Yeah, the 1st of January. Wait, no. You know what we should do? We talk about what we should put on merchandise and stuff. What we should do is take pictures of Adam's notes and print them up, and it can be like a thing. So I've done this stupid thing where I've started trying to do dates in the European style where it's day, month, year, because that makes more sense technically in terms of... Yes, small to large. Yes, in America, obviously, we do month, day, year. Yeah. It makes little difference, but it throws me off occasionally. That's why I have and always will continue when I write out dates to put the month out yeah. written out. Yes. Because I cannot, my dyslexic brain... Does not allow you to. Does not allow me to do that. So we'll start that over. They boarded a sleeper train uh, for the mountains on the 23rd of January, 1959. Okay. They stopped in Sorova. It's a small village on the way to the mountains, and they sent some letters home. This was this is a lot of this information is from the BBC article. The journalist who did this wrote an amazing piece, which sort of gives all of these students character. Okay, um, not just one big block no, of these people died. Of these people died, and so Zaneda sent a letter home to her family. She said, "We are going camping, and it's a great bunch of people. 
I have all the warm clothes I need, so don't worry about me. How are you? How how are the cows? Has she calved yet? I sure love drinking her milk. And so it's just like, oh, this is nice. Yeah. And then they stayed in another of a small village on the night of the 25th um, and hitched a truck to the 41st settlement, which was a logging base nearby. And Zena wrote a, a note in her diary. And apparently you can read a lot of their diaries, and that's how a lot of this information sort of came about. You may get to this, but is it weird that they were choosing to hike somewhere freezing cold in the middle of January? Well, they're Russian. <laughs> and it was like their spring break. They were they were going to leave for three weeks, go on this little expedition, okay. and then come back. And they were all engineering students, yeah. okay. um, all very bright, all very adventurous and sporty, very fit. Um, oh, I identify with them so desperately. So, I know. They're just like me. <laughs> just like me. Um and the pictures of them, they just look like they're, like, having a ball. Okay. Like, they're, they're just taking a break before their final, like, year I have actually seen some of the yeah. pictures, yeah, that does look like they were having fun. Um, and she wrote in her diary, it turns out this is our last day of civilization, and the last chance me and Luda, Luda had to sleep in beds. Tonight we are going to be in a tent. Um, at this point, Yuri went home. Uh, he was complaining of a sciatic nerve. Oh, okay. Um, and so he went home, and it was the one thing that saved his life. They reached their destination the night of the 26th, I think. They rented a sledge from the Mansi, local Mansi tribe, and then went by on skis following the rivers and the Mansi hunting trails, reaching the point which would become their final campsite. Was it meant to be their final campsite? Uh, no, it just became their final campsite. Yeah, okay, so I just didn't plan, know if they were planning Their plan was on. to camp, um, and then... I think the, so I think the plan was they, they left on the sledge and the skis. They were going to go over the peak... Of okay. uh, the, the dead mountain, which I will just call it because okay. I can't speak the Russian. Um, they were going to peak it and then go down and then camp on the other side of the mountain okay. for the night, but they were unable to do that because the weather got really, really bad. Okay. So on the 31st, like I said, they, they were going to peak this mountain, um, but due to the weather, they had to stop. And what's really kind of strange about their decision about where they stopped is there's a really sort of... Um, there's a forest that's less than a mile away. It's less than a mile back down yeah. the hill where they would have had much more cover under the tree line. Because Did they, they walk through the forest? Yeah, and they then... had come through the forest okay. and gone almost a mile up the mountain. Um, and instead of going back to the forest, when the weather turned, they decided to just dig a pit and stick their tent in it, which is a, a kind of a strange decision for okay. any experience. Are there any theories as to why? Uh, because they didn't want to turn around. Oh, okay. Because traveling by, by backcountry ski is much slower than walking. So a mile is forever. A mile would have taken a very, very long time. So that's what they assumed. Uh, Zena wrote in her diary, uh, There was sun this morning, and now it is very cold. All day we followed the river. At night we'll camp on a Mansi trail. I burned my mittens in Yura's jacket at camp, and he cursed me very much. Yura was her ex-boyfriend. This is oh. just a bit of character <laughs> about about the two yeah. of them. They, um, they were dating at one point. Apparently he attacked a grizzly bear with a geological hammer and that's when they sort of started courting each other i actually think i'd heard this which is such a russian thing to, to hear <laughs> i like think a i'd heard that yeah um yeah. and then they started and she just she he wooed her immediately with her his strength <laughs> his great russian strength and his hammer and his geological hammer uh, but they had broken up and she was a bit worried about going on this trip with him because he wasn't sure she wasn't sure what his, his attitude would be toward her okay. Um, but I think the fact that he cursed her was more to do with the fact that she burnt his coat and not yeah. that she had broken up with him. Uh, so that, that happens. That's the 31st. Okay. That's the last, that the, 
there's any diaries. Obviously, they're not sending anything out because it's the 60s and there's no cell phones. And even if there were cell phones, you're not getting a signal on that mountain anyway. They did take photos. Uh, yeah, they did take photos. That was weird. Um, I only saw the one photo, but it's a weird one. Yeah. Um, Dyatlov told the university, or his, like, because I think they went out on this expedition sort of sponsored by their, their like, sporting club okay. at their university. And he basically told them, we're going to get to our next communication point in about two weeks. It might take a little bit longer yeah. due to the weather, but you won't hear you won't hear from us any later than the 20th. Okay. Or the 12th, sorry. So the 12th comes and goes. And of February? Of February. Okay. And it's now the 20th. Okay. And people are now starting to get a bit worried. Okay. We haven't heard from them. We should have heard from them by now. And so this prompts a search and rescue party to go out to the mountain. Yeah. I would never have let, let me just be real clear. I don't have children, don't particularly want to have children. No way would I have ever let my children go and do this. So Igor's sister, is Tatiana, was still alive when the article that the BBC mm-hmm. wrote was published. And so they interviewed her. And That's not surprising. It was only... Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, she's like 89, though. I mean, she's like, okay. she's, she's up there. Mm-hmm. Um, they interviewed her and, and her she said that her mother's like dying wish was that she had never let her son go on this trip and that was like all like it was just her biggest regret in life was was going and she said she didn't want them to go on this trip so, and eager said I, I want like we're all experienced like we should really have no problem so for parents out there when you're if in doubt as to whether to let your children go and hike something called death mountain in the middle of december january yeah. the answer is no. no. But they were at university, so you can't really stop them from doing anything anyway. Stupid university students. <laughs> Morons. I was never rebellious. Never, never. did anything my I mother never, would have... I never didn't go to school. I never did anything my mother would have disapproved <laughs> of much. So the rescue party goes out, and they have some first-hand accounts from someone who was a part of the party. His name is Mikhail Charvan. Okay. And the first real discovery was six days after... They went looking. After they went looking. And they found the tent. Uh, buried under snow, there was a the pole was sticking up out of the snow, and a flashlight was attached to the top, and there were slashes, like from a knife, from the inside of the tent, like they had tried to escape out from the inside. Yeah, which is a strange behavior. Yeah, with a zip. They don't find the first body until the twenty seventh of February, and Mikhail says we approached a cedar tree. We were twenty meters away and saw a brown spot in the snow. When we got closer, we saw two corpses. The hands and feet were reddish-brown. These were the bodies of Yuri Doroshenko and Yuri Krivonyshenko, who had bitten off a piece of his knuckle, which is weird. Um, it's never It never comes back again okay. as a piece of a detail, but this is something that Mikhail like, remembers okay, that is weird. About, the, about the discovery. Uh, both men were stripped down to their underwear, and there was obviously an attempt at making a fire. They were around, like, the remnants of burnt, okay. of burnt branches. And Mikhail said that it looked like a lot of the branches from the trees, that the lower branches, like, all around had been ripped off. I, whether it, it was by an avalanche or if it yeah. was just these two men trying to save themselves. Yeah. It's a bit unclear. They found Igor next. Uh, he was clothed, but he wasn't wearing any shoes, and he was face down gripping a branch. So maybe trying to get to yeah. the fire. Zeneda was found next. And this was sort of the most tragic one because there's so much information that she left. You sort of can identify with her really well because she's she's a young woman. She's a university student. She has, like, this bright future ahead of her. She's going on a hike she's not really sure about because her ex-boyfriend is there. Yeah, and, so it, it's not just a story. It's and, a person. Yeah, and they found... it. 
the way her body was positioned, it looked like she had been trying to crawl back to the tent, and it looked like she had been struck with something long and slender because she had a big red bruise on her side. The others were found, but they appeared to not be dead due to the elements. They also weren't found until a bit later. Mm -hmm. On the 5th of March, Alexander was found uh, with massive head trauma. His skull was fractured. The remaining bodies weren't found until May, which is so this is two months later. So it kind of once Thor. Yes, and uh, the the members of the nearby Mansi tribe actually helped the the people, um, the yeah. search party, send find them. Yeah. And it's it's worth noting that the search party that went out were members of the school and friends of... Yeah. Because okay. this, is, this is sort of used as a point against a government cover-up. Because if it were a government cover-up, Russia would have just sent, like, the KGB yeah. to find these bodies. Okay. So the last one, two, three, four, five bodies were found in May. Um, Nikolai also had a fractured skull. Alexander had a, an open wound behind his ear, and it looked like his neck was broken. The last two are the weird ones. Uh, Ludmila had broken ribs. Uh, Simon had an open head wound. But these are the two weird ones because they were both missing their eyes. Mm-hmm. And Ludmila's tongue had been torn out of her head. So, like, that's a bit unusual. Little odd. Little odd. So the theories immediately begin. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the bodies come back. Tatiana does not go to her brother Igor's funeral for obvious reasons. She was very young, and her parents okay. didn't want her to go. And they didn't open casket funeral. Yeah. But his skin was reddish brown. Okay. And these are Eastern Europeans. Yeah. Um, don't tend to be very tan. I wouldn't say in Russia. Okay. Um. Yeah. So, her parents thought that this was a military cover. Her parents did? Yes. Okay. Um, and the Russian officials basically told her parents, you will never know the truth, so stop asking questions. So the thing- oh, you got to love Russia for so, being like... <laughs> love the USSR. Yeah, yeah. got to love that for their sympathetic understanding. Because that's even the thing is like, even if this wasn't a military cover-up, what a good way of making people think, think it a was a military cover-up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, so the, the theory is... You're looking at pictures of the bodies. Mm-hmm. Could you tell by the absolute revulsion on my face? Yeah. I just Googled Diablo, uh, Diablo Pass uh, photos. Yeah. Yep, no, definitely. Yeah, kind of gruesome. There are some gruesome photos. Do not do this unless you like gruesome. <laughs> um, so another one of these theories, and this is a bit of uh, indigenous tribal fear, a yeah. bit of cultural misunderstanding. But the students hired a Mansi sledge driver. Yeah. They were they were found near the tribal villages. They obviously followed a hunting path. Yeah. So the Soviet investigators immediately were, like, looking into the Mansi tribal people, saying that they have shamanistic practices. They were oh, obviously, that they want to take the eyes and the tongue. Well, yeah, and they, the, were, they were obviously just on drugs and killed them in, like, a drug-fueled rage. Yeah, um, okay. There's obviously very little evidence of this. But yeah. But the... the Theory still persists. The book was written in 2015. That that actually makes the claims of the shamanistic drug taking and killing of the. Of was it, who was it written by? I didn't write the author's name down because I didn't want to give him any credence. No, because I was about to. I was just about to say if he's Russian, then. I mean, probably. Because um, that's just. Poor. Poor. Uh, they, they did interview the forest warden of the Mansi tribe. About, okay. And he said that the odds. Like if it had actually been someone of the tri- like a tribal person, yeah. the the Russian government would have swooped in because they were known at that time for being very heavy handed. Yeah, and that they would not have let that. 
no. in any way. No. There would have been long interrogation, torture, possibly. Yeah. He did say that there was, while he was growing up, there was a woman who remembers when their bodies were found. Yeah. And she claimed that the Russian government did torture them. He said there, he has no way to prove okay. whether or not that happened, but people did disappear for, like, weeks at a time and were obviously being interrogated okay. by the government. Uh, this forest warden's mother remembers yeah. a night in February. Yeah, in February, when the sky lit up, she said she saw something rushing through the sky. It was narrow on one end, wider on the other, and sparks were flying off of it. it looked like it was on fire. Um, and so there's a theory that it might have been radiation poisoning. Okay. Um, because some of the symptoms of radiation poisoning are your skin does change color. Okay. Um, and it can cause severe disorientation. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that this. That the Russian military was doing an experiment, yeah. it went wrong, the radiation started raining down on, on these students' campsite, they got disorientated disoriented and ran yeah. out of their tent, and before they could make it back, they died in the snow. Okay. And that would obviously be something that the Russian government would try to cover up. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the thing, uh, this is led credence by the fact that this never came out in the newspapers in the 60s. Okay. Only the family members and closest friends knew that they actually died on the mountain. And government officials were basically just like, stop asking questions. Huh. Um, and there was a theory that the students died and then their bodies were moved back to the mountain to make it look like they... Died out in the mountain. Yeah. But what would be the theory as to how they died? Uh, that they were That they were like subjects of a... Of an experiment. Oh, okay. And then they were taken back to make it look like they died of exposure. Who I, was the one that didn't die? Y- Yuri, his name was. Yuri, okay. I, I, I keep saying Yudin, and I, I don't know if that's correct, um, but... Because I'm looking, I so... He died a few years ago. I was pulling up pictures of... I'm being, I was pulling out pictures of them. And they are a good-looking, nice-looking bunch yeah, of kids. they are. I mean, but then there's someone called Sem, Semyon Zolotov. He's the 38-year-old. Yeah, he looks super out of place. He was a an instructor of some description. Okay, because everyone else is, like, they're cute, the, handsome, 20-something. Yeah, they're all in their, their mid-20s. Early. They're, they're all finishing up yeah. their, uh, their, like, five-year degrees. Yeah. He was already... A de- he already had a degree. Yeah. Um, there is some backyard theory that he was part of the KGB or the CIA, and he was planted there to sort of, like, rat uh-huh. them out, um, because there was also a theory that, because some of these students were part of the Communist Party, because this was the 70s, this was, like, the yeah. glory of the Soviet yeah, 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 yeah. Union. Um, you were never going to get a bunch of students that, I mean, if you took, if you took 10 political, if you took 10 students now yeah. from a university, at least a few of them are going to be fairly politically aligned Yeah, in um, some respect. And so there is some theory that maybe they were like a scouting party and that they mm-hmm. were actually trying to get into Asia or Europe from from Russia to, to do some spying or something. Mm-hmm. But there seems to be little to know. Like, like you said, 10 students from a university in Russia are probably going to be political, pretty, pretty, pretty linen, pretty linen focused. Yeah, I mean, that's it's just the one the one guy. I mean... Yeah, he was older. Um, I think he was just an instructor. Okay, which uh, one was it? Was it Yuri Yudin? Yes. Who who survived? Who survived? Yeah. He's kind of blue stealing like crazy in this yeah, picture. Yeah, he is. He's uh, uh he's kind of a hottie. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, we are we are we are doing this. <laughs> sorry, I was just like, and I'm looking at the girls because honestly, they're, I wanted to beautiful. see, I wanted to see, I wanted like as many times 
actually, I have looked at the photos of the bodies and I've looked yeah. at the photos from the thing before, but I actually, until you started talking about the girls, yeah. had never really thought to look up how they looked, who yeah. they were beforehand, that's the thing before is, they set out on this mountain and became a legend. That's the thing is, like, uh, some of these are really easy to disassociate with. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, when we yeah. talk about people who were murdered or, or, or die, of, yeah. or, like, under horrible circumstances, it's easy to suss out, just do, like, just be like, just, these are the facts, like, that's that's fine. Yeah. That's all well. Even just looking at like even just looking at the corpses for me didn't really freak me out that much. The the hard part was reading her diary was reading Zaneda's diary entries and then like looking at their university photos. Cause then it's like and it's like, oh wow, like that that's a person who is who is my age. Yeah. Who is dead now. Yeah, and I, I have to say there's a photo of Igor Diatlov who is he has a, does he have that funny hat on? He has the funny hat on and he's grinning and he's covered yeah. in snow yeah. and he just looks like somebody I'd like to know. So you see that gap between his teeth? Yeah. They said when they brought his body back, his parents were only able to recognize his body because of the gap in his teeth. Because his hair had turned gray, his skin was like brown. Wow. They just did they they could barely recognize him. He just looks like a person I'd like to know in that photo. Yeah, and it really gave me a newfound respect for people who do, like, the true crime podcast because of the, like, level of research you have to do. And a lot of those murders are, like, 40 years ago at the latest. And it's, like, there are so many pictures of the the victims. And it's just, like, it was was crazy. Mm. Back to this. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) Um, So there is a consensus even in the 60s that something strange happened. Yeah, okay. Um, The BBC... Journalist went uh, goes on to interview Oleg Arkhipov, who mm-hmm. I want to sort of highlight, and they did a great job highlighting him in their article as well, who wrote several books about this incident. Okay. He became very good friends with Lev Ivanov, who led the first inquest in 1959, and he was initially very diligent, very on top of things, but was told... and. W- and was told that the students were sub- subjected to something like an explosive wave of force. Okay. Whether it was an avalanche or just like air, like oh, just a huge yeah. amount of air. Um, but was quickly scared off by government officials who basically okay. told him to stop digging into this or we're going yeah. to send you to the gulag. Yep. Um, he... This is where the insurmountable force of nature comes in. Okay. Which is so... Un, nondescript and unhelpful. Yeah. That obviously people are going to be suspicious of this. Yeah. A few of the stranger things ha, uh, related to this uh, were when the students' clothes were tested, there were large levels of radiation on their clothing. Okay. The KGB. Oh, that is interesting. The KGB initially that. guarded their bodies when they okay. came back. A large container of alcohol, which used to be mm-hmm. used as a way to protect yourself against radiation poisoning. Yeah was delivered to the place where their bodies were. Okay. Uh, Wait, alcohol protects you against radiation poisoning? I guess you would just, I, you would use it. Is that a, just like the Russian excuse to drink vodka no, while they did perform autopsies? <laughs> no, I think it's like you use it as a barrier. Okay. On, you like rub it on your skin. Okay. Um, and I don't know if it like, if it, if they mean like something like hand sanitizer or if they mean like rubbing alcohol. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. And people were like, well, if there was rain. Not like Russian vodka. No, hard to say. And My vodka. People also uh, reported lots of dead animals in the area mm. around where their campsite okay. was. And people, Mansi, uh, people were banned from drinking the well water in that area because it was poisonous. <laughs> okay. And the Mansi were forbidden from hunting in that area for four years. Whether that has to do with the sort of indigenous fear 
that the okay. Russians harbored, or if it was because the Russian government yeah. knew that they had accidentally nuclearized yeah. or irradiated an entire area. Uh, another strange bit was that bits of their organs were taken away for testing, and as okay. soon as the re- results came back, they were like put under lock and key. Okay. So I think there's a lot of evidence that does point to some sort of, whether it was the Russian government that actually performed the test, yeah. whether they did it intentionally or on right. accident. I think we could be fairly certain that the USSR did cover this up for one reason or another. Yeah, but it could have been as simple as nothing, right? Like, I mean, they could have covered it up just because the Russians had a... A, 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 a whole habit of doing that. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, no, exactly. Uh, other theories were Russian shockwaves. I think the Russians at this point were experimenting with using, like, sonic energy as a weapon... Okay. Because if you if you target air, yeah, air can be very dangerous. Yes. Um, yes. And apparently, some of the like the broken, I mean, the broken neck, uh, the like the head wounds and stuff were apparently sort of similar mm-hmm. to that sort of thing. And then the big one is the the Russian abominable snowman. Yes. There is a picture that one of the students took. Is one of thirty five pictures recovered at the scene. Okay. And it. Shows a very tall-looking man creature, humanoid creature, stood behind a tree, oddly dis, oddly well, sort of focused in, and um, I don't know any photography terms, but like, <laughs> it, it is the best picture of an abominable snowman or that you've ever seen that I've ever ever seen. Okay, um, and it's possible that it's one of the students just in all of their rush because, like, if you look at pictures of them, they're wearing very dark clothes. Yeah. Um, their faces are all covered because yeah. it's obviously like negative 40 degrees yeah. on that mountain. I, I, the, Yeti, the Yeti theory sort of grew legs because of the missing eyes and the missing tongue, yeah. I think, and the broken neck yeah. and, and, and stuff like that. So there are some other sort of fr- what people call fringe theories. Yeah, and I mean, they were much more spread out than... Than they right? should have been. Than they should have been. Yeah, um, because I'm not sure what the actual distances were. But the three men were found near the tent, and then yeah. the other, and then there were other, a young woman was, as a Dania was found near, yeah. sort of near the tent, and then the other five were found down in a ravine. I'm not even sure if it was like a yeah. kilometer away, but it was like a significant difference, and that could be that they got out of the tent faster Maybe. while they were fleeing. Um, were they all in one tent? Yes, they had one big. Tent. Okay. Um, because when they found the tent, all of their boots were like lined up. And yeah. I'm assuming it's like sort of a. I'm not gonna say glamping tent, because, yeah, yeah, but like big enough for ten people to fit. In. Well, that's what I was trying to figure out um, if it was like. Yeah, because I, I'm guessing if you're camping on a Russian mountain in January, you want as body much heat. warmth as possible. Yeah. So yeah, one big tent. Which, I mean, that's a big tent. Yeah, that is a big and tent. And those things are sturdy. Uh, they tend to be. But um, I can imagine also ten people in a panic. Yeah, trying to get out. Trying to get yeah. out of one tent, especially if there's an app because the tent was buried under snow. And to be fair, it was like ten days yeah. later when they found it, so it sure it did snow. Um, but that's sort of like an avalanche came and maybe the the snow like yeah. hit their tent and they had to cut their way out of the tent in order to escape the mm-hmm. snowfall. Um, but the, that's sort of all the theories. The interesting thing about this in the modern day is that in 2019, the Russian government general, the Russian prosecutor general's office reopened the inquests yeah. into their deaths uh, and basically said everything they said in the 60s, which was that uh, Alexander Kuranoi, uh, who works for the general's office, basically said, 
crime is out of the question. There is no evidence that the Russian government had anything to do with this. It was either an avalanche, like a falling slab yeah. of snow, or a hurricane. Because I, either a podcast I listened to, and I'm sorry because I should probably remember which one of the podcasts I listened to, yeah. but I listened to a few, Yeah, mentioned like the idea of like a wind vortex. Yeah, so it's called the catabatic winds. Okay. And it's what happens when... The wind comes down off of the top of a mountain. It so mm-hmm. it carries the cold air down yeah. into the lower valleys. Basically, okay. I believe that's what it is. But that is one of the theories, and it sort of becomes like a polar vortex. Yeah, okay. you get a lot of like fast cold wind, and it can cause like ex- death from exposure. Very. I'm very localized, right? Like, yes. so it can be. It could be on just their pu- camp- yeah, yeah, on their campsite or on a person. I think even. Um, um, so that is a, that is also one of the theories. I didn't see a lot of. I don't remember art, where. But it is, I remember in the general Wikipedia yeah. overview, it's one of the theories. Um, yeah. I I mean, and what, but didn't you say that the name of it originally translated was? Of the mountain. Of the mountain. It was Dead Mountain. No, but the, the actual oh, uh, translation. The wind of swir- it's like the mountain of swirling wind. Yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, I mean, mountains in the States are like that as well. Like Mount Washington in New Hampshire has a weather station on it, and it gets temperatures down to... Like negative six, like it recorded negative eighty one winter. Yeah, and like that mountain isn't even as high as the mountain yeah. in in Russia. So, what's but your I, theory? What do you think happened? I do like what do you want to think happened? Uh, I want, I I don't like the idea of governments, whether intentionally or not, causing the death of their citizens. Yeah, because I think that's like the largest form of treason. Um, I. I want them to have all gone out, had a good time, and come home. Uh, I want to, and I want and hope that it was just a natural disaster. But I, and I, and I know that the Russian government has a or had a bad habit of covering a lot of this stuff up. I mean, I, there's just so much evidence to suggest that whether intentionally or not, the Russian government had something to do with. Did they have deaths. to? Did they have to get permits or anything to go hiking? Is no. there, did the government have any? Would the government have any knowledge that they were on the mountain? Uh, um, that you could find. Unless Simon, the the older gentleman, was a member of like the Russian government secretly. I don't. Maybe the school had to report it to somebody. When but they so went there out. is a, there is an argument to say that it's much that the Russians were testing stuff on the mountain. Yeah. But with absolutely no knowledge yeah, that with, it was gonna. No fault of their own. Like, no knowledge that it was going to yeah. hurt anyone. I just think that, like, the, the the organ testing kind of disappearing after the results came in, the radiation on their clothes. The radiation on their clothes is weird. Is, there, is yeah. it a radioactive place? It is now. <laughs> um, I don't know if it was beforehand. Um, Are there natural radioactive spots? I don't think so, no. I think it's okay. a, that's a man-made sort of issue. All right, well, that fairly I, yeah. solves it, um, doesn't it? I mean, if, but, but if, there's also an argument that, like, I don't know, they're living in Russia in the '60s. It's possible that the clothes were irradiated from something else. You could make, you could probably make that argument. I'm not sure. No, I but I'm saying if the area is now irradiated, yeah. if the area was, yeah. And to be fair, I mean the the the. the I'm not saying that the Russians actually did it deliberately because yeah. I don't think there's any indication that that would have been the case. No, but because why it, would they bother? But even if it had been an accident, they would have tried to cover. Yeah, it up. exactly. Um, and there's the argument that, excuse me, that. It wasn't intentional because otherwise they wouldn't have let the students and friends and family go out to find their bodies. They would have yeah. sent secret police to find yeah. them. Yeah. You know, they never would have seen their 
fam- you know, so maybe it was an accident. And to be fair, again, another point is that the forest warden's mother, who remembers seeing the thing in the sky, yeah. could have been a comet, could have been a, like could have been a meteorite, yeah. and there's no guarantee that it was the night of their deaths. Yeah, because we don't actually know what night they died, right? No, we ha- the last. It's like in between the thirty first of January and the, and and like the second of February, basically, because there's no evidence that they survived and then tried to keep surviving on the mountain. Yeah, we're fairly certain it has to be within like a twenty four hour period. Yeah, I just think it's, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, because it doesn't have a clear answer. I mean, I mean, like, yes. Well, we'll, and we'll probably never get one, which is why it's. So that's the thing is, like, um, their bodies are going to be exhumed. Oh, are they? Yeah. Uh, and um, Who so in Russia is letting their bodies get exhumed? The government, the, the, the families. Okay. Um, so. Because unless Putin's doing something different, there's no way he's going to admit to radiating his citizens no. either. Well, I mean, he didn't do it. No, but he's, you on, know what he's I mean. also maybe on the way out. Uh, yeah. But you know what I mean, like. Yeah. Uh, so there's a there's a Russian journalist, and she really is pushing for because she's been doing a lot of research on this. She's really pushing for the bodies to get exhumed and to have full autopsies done, like full recent yeah autopsies done because there's just some strange things about their deaths. Um, obviously, Igor's sister is still alive. Yeah. She's a bit like, I want this to just be over because they. she feels like they haven't had a chance to rest because people have been yeah. digging into this since they died in 59. Yeah. Um, but she also wants answers. A very Russian, very pragmatic Russian way of looking at, of yeah. looking at the situation. Um, and supposedly before the end of this year, we're supposed to have... An, an update to the inquest. Oh, well, we'll update you guys if yeah, we do. Yeah, um, obviously those things can be pushed back in bureaucracy and red tape and so all that stuff. And corona's affecting everybody. Yeah, so who knows? Because I think that article was written in May. Okay. Um, well, I mean, that. sorry, the BBC article was written in late 2019, before all the crazy stuff happened. Okay. And there hasn't been an update since then. So we may never, this might just get buried under someone's outbox. Yeah, but life. it's interesting that it does keep going because yeah. I'm sure there must have been a lot of unexplained deaths. And, and on, yet this one. On that note, I'm going to rail against this Atlantic article. Oh yes, rail, rail. So, I didn't write the journalist's name down, um, and I read I read the article, and the title of the article was "This Ridiculous Russian Myth That Refuses to Die." Um, You're railing real well right now. I'm not going to rail that hardly. So basically the way it was written was that this person felt that any theory that basically didn't stick to the official government story is just like fringe theory, conspiracy theory garbage. Okay. Um, maybe not that harshly. That's how I felt. That's yeah. what the tone translated to me. Um, and it sort of painted with that 50% of Russians. That's a, that's a loaded statistic to throw into an article about something completely different. Um, so it sort of paints Russians with this conspiracy theory crazy brush without sort of giving any credence to the context of the fact that Russians lived under such an oppressive yeah. hidey hole government for so long that of course they're going to be a bit suspicious yes. when the government says anything. Yeah, because look at how people are in a Western society, where in theory we have Freedom of Information Acts and yeah. various other bits to make sure that people stay. Yeah, stay legit. Mm-hmm. And, like, it, it, it was just frustrating to read because I find this with all conspiracy theorists. Yeah. 
when you want to discount a theory, you put the word conspiracy in front of it because it it takes it down a level. I, like I think all theories have weight. It just depends on how the information is shared and and propagated that makes it a conspiracy theory or not. And I think a lot of the evidence points to a government cover-up in some way, and I don't think that the Russian government should just be let off the hook because they said they didn't do it. Yeah. Um, so that it, I was just a bit frustrated reading that, and this is my very mild rant at that journalist. Let's just point out how many things the gov- Russian government have been let off the hook by for saying, we didn't do it. Yeah, so I just think that there was sort of an, uh, whether intentional or not by this journalist, an, uh, sort of, ignoring of the the context of the Russian government yeah. and the Russian people. So that is it. Um, that Good. Was, that was Dyatlov Pass. And Sweet. I love to digging into that. Um, if you guys have any more suggestions for stuff like this. Yeah, I'm not really sure what pictures I'm going to use for. Picture of the mountain, maybe. No, oh, I might a, use. There's a nice memorial. There's a granite stone memorial. No, I might use it. a picture of Igor Dyatlov in his smiling and his face hat. and his funny hat. That's a good picture. Because it makes me... Makes me happy. And it makes me like him, which makes me want to know what happened to him. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and he was, uh, like, found midway. I'm looking at where all the bodies were positioned. He was, like... Yeah, the map was sort of confusing for me, because they just had it, like, in a circle. They had, like, a, a Google... Which map? I've you? got this map. Oh, wow. I didn't see that map. Oh, I didn't see that map. I only saw the one the BBC did, and they basically just took a screenshot of Google Earth and then drew some... Circles circles on it. it. Yeah, no, this is a slightly different map, but um, I guess. But uh, so we'll find something cool for that. But it was a good, I, it's a really interesting. Yeah, it really, really is. So thank you so much for that suggestion. Thank you, Casey. Yes, you rock. Okay, so mine is uh, Sack Area Samantha in her review on iTunes gave us a couple of options uh, to do. One was Hydra and one was Yetis in the Abominable Snowman. Yeah. Now, since you were doing. The dial of pass. The dial of pass, and since I think that we could potentially split Yetis and Abominable Snowmen into several categories. Yeah. I did Hydra. That's fine. Which also ended up splitting into like many short legendary things with associated with yeah. the name Hydra. Obviously, I know what she wanted us to talk about, which is the Greek mythology, and yeah. that's where we'll start. But then I got lots of other bits to talk about too, some of which potentially are much, to me, more interesting. Um, I don't think so, the Hydra doesn't really make up that much of Greek mythology, does No, Hydra's really, it, honestly, if I were to just do it on Hydra, we would be, Hydra is in. Be here for three minutes. We'd be here for three minutes, as I'm about to prove with my three minute conversation to you about the Greek and Roman does mythology. Does Elder have, a, have an entry on Hydra? I didn't find anything out about Piney the Elder, elder and Heidi. Talking about Heidi he- and Heidi and Piney. Heidi and Piney. Heidi and Piney. Okay, so Hydra is a Greek water snake. Um, the offspring of Typhon. Oh, I should give you my sources. Constellation-guide.com was a big source. A new one. Uh-huh. Um, and Wikipedia. Actually, I will say constellation-guide.com was really good. Really? And I really enjoy it. And thanks, by the way, Samantha, for this, because I had to learn, as you will see over the course of this, about computing, biology, uh, constellations, a whole load of stuff, which I my, my non-scientific brain had to process. Oh, it's so frustrating, isn't it? Um, so, uh, okay, I'll start with what I know, which is mythology. Uh, so Hydra was the offspring of Typhon and Echidna? 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 Yeah, maybe. We'll go with that. Um, 
We talked and about Typhon for a little bit. In the it, yeah, episode. Uh, a gigantic monster with nine heads, although the number of heads changes. Um, the center one being immortal. It lived in a hill beneath a plain tree near the river Anymorn in the marshes of Lima by Argos. Mm. The, uh, the supermarket. <laughs> yes, by the supermarket. And according like the Sainsbury's. According to writers of the time, Hydra was the had poisonous bread, uh, breath and yes. <laughs> poisonous bread, uh, breath and blood so violent that even its scent was deadly. Ooh. Um, okay. So this is basically it's just a serpent-headed monster. Yeah. Uh, guarding potentially. Does it have legs, or is it just like a snake with a lot of heads? So, most of the depictions I found of it were a snake with a lot of heads. Okay, because obviously I'm thinking of the Hydra from Hercules. And then I kept thinking of, like, some of them were discussed it as, like, a woman cross snake. Like Medusa? And that's where I kept going with Medusa. Yeah. Um, interestingly, there's no connection that I could find between Hydra and Medusa. They really just don't like snakes in Greek mythology, um, do they? Other than some hacking software. Ooh! Which... Relevant. The various various names of it are named. Uh, so Hydra and Medusa in a lot of uh, contemporary stuff. Yeah, uh, we'll get into this, but they're like Generation One might be called Hydra, Generation Two might be called Medusa oh. in software programming and biological development okay. and stuff. But actually, so as humans, we can't help but make the connection between multi snake headed thing. Mm-hmm. But actually, in Greek mythology, there were very two different. Things. Okay. Um, okay. So, Hydra was supposed to be potentially guarding the gates to hell. Okay. But that was Cerberus. So, it's in Lerna, which was one of the gates to I guess there's many uh, gates to hell. Yes. Natural. Yeah. And she was known as the Lenarian Hydra. Ooh. And killing her was one of the 12 labors of Hercules. Okay. Um... So there's a lot of, you know, uh, different things. But basically what happened was as soon as you cut off one of the heads, it grew back. Mm-hmm. Um, some legends have it for every one head you cut off, it grew back too. Yep. Um, and what eventually happened was Hercules got the assistance of his cousin. and Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I have his name somewhere in here. Um <laughs> I don't know. I'll get to it in a minute, I'm Jason, sure. Jason, isn't it? Jason Jason of the Argonauts, isn't that her Maybe. Cousin? Either way. Jason, the most normal name. Most normal name. <laughs> Either way, he got his cousin, and what they did was as soon as he cut off a head, he would fire the wound shut. Oh, cool. Like, seal it shut. Yeah, with... cauterize it. Yeah. And that apparently did the job. Yeah. And then Hercules got a whole load of uh, blood and gore from this monster, and used it in some of the uh, and used it in his arrows, which inflicted fatal wounds from that point onwards. So generally, the accepted interpretation of the legend is that the hydra denotes the damp, swampy grounds of Lerna, with numerous springs. Mm-hmm. Its poison is the myomisic vapors Ooh. rising from the stagnant oh, water. Okay. And (laughs) its death at the hand of Hercules is the introduction of culture and consequential purification of the soil. Okay. That was a theory from someone named Prella. There's other different things, which is it was defended by 50 bowmen, um, the Hydra, 
And he besieged a citadel and heard firebrands at the garrison. And once, as one defender fell, two would step into the place. Ah. So that was the many heads yeah. of the snake. This is the sort of historical... More real yeah. versions, I guess, yeah. of it. The not allegory yeah. or metaphor. However, I will say that Hydra has been around for a very long time. The earliest, oldest images are found on uh, some bronze statues dating back to 700 BCE. Mm-hmm. And even then, most of the myth had been established. So we're still talking a number, a multi-headed serpent yeah. with images of Hercules. Iolaus. Iolaus. Oh, his cousin. His cousin. <laughs> Sorry. Not Jason. Uh, some of these actually have only a six-headed hybra, headed hybra. Wow, my English is good today. Hybra. Hybra, ba, 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 ba. Yeah. So other people say that Hercules was killing... A snake, a normal, a serpent, <laughs> but with a whole load of offspring. A slow worm. <laughs> yes. <Yeah, slow. laughs> just, just, just stomp on, on it. <laughs> stomp, stomp on the slow worm it, near a swamp, and he's done. It sort of, it sort of takes all the gravitas out of the story if it's just a really buff guy stepping on a slow worm. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a single-headed snake accompanied by a whole load of its offspring. Sounds horrible. Which sounds actually to me worse than a single-headed. Have you ever seen those like pictures of snake balls? Like when they like so when snakes <laughs> snake balls. It's a really horrible sentence. Okay. But like when they like do the mating, they're just a big squirming pile. Oh yeah. Uh, that's what I'm imagining. Yeah. It's awful. I hate it. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of what actually I think it was. Ugh. Was like a whole lot of that. That's gross. Yeah, which is gross. I hate that. Okay. There's many parallels in other countries. Uh so Near Eastern religions in Babylonia and Assyria with different versions of the same thing. We, I mean, we've gone through the serpents. They're People don't common, like them. Fairly, yeah. Everywhere you go. No one likes them. No one likes them. Snakes are bad. Yeah. Kill all the snakes. <laughs> so, yeah. That is Hydra the myth. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's it, really. That is really it's it. It's a gatekeeper for Hercules. Hell, and Hercules killed it yeah. by cauterizing the heads, is it? So, and it, it doesn't have a lot beyond... Been a oh you'll know the literary term foil for oh, yeah, Hercules yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah and outside the classical period it doesn't really have a lot of no then we even within the classical period it doesn't have a lot of things going no it really doesn't it's not, it's like, just, it's not like Poseidon or Hercules yeah or, it's just there to be yeah. something that to be conquered Hercules kills yeah. so Hydra is also the largest constellation in the sky. Is it? Yeah, it lies in the southern hemisphere, stretching across 102.5 degrees, and its head is located at the south end of the constellation Cancer, and its tail lies between Centurius and Libra. Oh, wow. Um, the constellation was first catalogued by the Greek astronomer Potlomi in 2nd century, and it is thought to represent Hydra from the Greek okay. myths. Although this constellation only has one head mm-hmm. so there is another thing that it was to do with a water snake about a crow that tried to, to trick the god apollo okay by blaming the snake for why it was late and fetching the god some water so mm. they apparently took this god well apollo took the snake the cup and the crow and threw them into the sky okay i guess the other constellations around there must match okay. up with yeah. that Notable deep sky objects in Hydra include the open cluster, Messiah 48, 
the Global Cluster, Messiah 68, and the Southern Pinwheel Galaxy. Oh, cool. Pinwheels um, are a little Debbie snack. Yep. It has 88 constellations within it. Wow. I know. And it occupies 1,303 square degrees of the night sky. That's a huge amount. Huge amount. And Hydra Cluster is a galaxy cluster in Hydra. Uh -huh. There's many galaxies within Hydra. Um, but the Hydra Cluster is spans 10 million light years and contains 157 bright galaxies. Jeez. Just to give you an idea of how big space is right now. Space is big. These galaxies, these 157 bright galaxies, are all about 150,000 light years in <sighs> diameter. Massive. And also the cluster is notable for having a high proportion of dark matter. Yeah. It is 191.1 million light years from the solar system. Our solar system. Our solar system. The only solar system yeah, that right. matters. Right. Um, it's unsurprisingly... I hope we don't have any, any extraterrestrial listeners. <laughs> yeah. Unsurprisingly, it belongs to the Hercules family of constellations, including... Aquila, Aura, Centurus, Corona. Ah, that's why I had to say. Crater, Crux, Hercules, Lupus, Lyra, Sagittas, Scrotum. No. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Serpentas and a few other bits. It's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty epic, epic piece of solar system, and it actually has two meteor showers associated with it: the Alpha Hybrids and the Sigma Hybrids. Mm. And apparently 6th of December, which is coming up, yeah. is one of the top days to see the meteor showers from oh, from from Earth on the uh, on Hydra. Cool. So there we go. So now we have done Greek Hydra and Constellation Hydra. Yeah, yeah. Which is still technically Greek Hydra, I think. Which is still technically, this is why we combined them. We're still talking about long ago, long ago Hydra. The long, the long ago stories. Long ago Hydra. So now we're going to move on to the hydra that I found most interesting, yeah. which is hydra as a genus of small freshwater organisms um, of the Phylum Siandra and class Hydrosa. <laughs> they are native to temperature and tropical regions, and really interestingly, they can regenerate. Oh. It's just cool. Yeah. They don't appear to die of old age or age at all. So I'm going to tell you a little bit more about these yeah, 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 massively yeah. magical things, mm. okay? Because they, what Hydra have, what they could potentially do for the medical industry is just yeah. off the charts extraordinary. Mm. So Hydra is a tubular radial symmetrical body up to 10 millimeters long when extended. So teeny tiny things. Little babies. Um, they, are, they have an adhesive foot at one end which secures them to whatever they're living on. Seem like coral reefs and stuff. Gland cells in the middle, which account for its adhesive properties. And then at the end of the body, the free end that's not attached to rocks and coral, is a mouth surrounded, mouth opening surrounded by one to 12 thin mobile tentacles. Okay. So very similar actually to what... Hydra looks like. Hydra looks like. Yeah. I, one of the things I couldn't figure out is I'm assuming they must have named these things pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Like when mm -hmm. they saw them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was it, were they named and then coincidentally they found out that they were regenerative, which is, oh. a, is a concept to do with Hydra? Um, 
Or do you think that they found out they were... I think that they probably named it something stupid when they first originally, yeah. like, uh, test subject B129. And then when they... And then when they thought it was regenerative, they're like, no, we're going to be really clever about this and name it Hydra. Maybe, but it's pretty... That's I mean, cool. That's awesome. So it kind of looks like Hydra. Yeah, that helps. Yeah. Uh, so you think they would have called it Hydra if it didn't have the tentacles? I don't know. This is what I'm saying. I want to know we who need, named it. We need to call the scientist. We need to find the scientist who named it. Okay. <laughs> Each tentacle, or Cina, C N I D A, C N I D A, no idea how that would be pronounced, is clothed with a highly specialized stinging cells. Okay. So their tentacles are also poisonous. Oh, that's. Really oddly specific. Well, yeah, which looks like miniature light bulbs with a coil, and they look like miniature light bulbs with a coiled thread inside. Um, at the narrow outer edge of the tentacle is a short trigger hair called something else, which I'm not going to try and pronounce. And upon contact with the prey, the contents of it are explosively discharged, flying a dart-like thread containing neurotoxins into whatever they release, which paralyzes the prey. It sounds like a, it sounds like a really tiny jellyfish. Yeah, kind of. Okay, so it has two... It's weird how similar it is to, to Hydra, Hydra the, the story. Yeah, I know. It's kind of crazy. But obviously, by the way, no relation because there's no way the Greeks would have... Had a microscope? ...been able to <laughs> identify this and then there's no way I don't think they would have taken this no. organism and turned it into a giant multi-headed snake in no. legend. No. But it has uh, two main body layers and it's got what's called a nerve net. It doesn't have like a brain... Yeah. It's just instinctual, I guess, what it does. Respiratory and excretion occur by diffusion through the surface of the epidermis, while larger excretions are discharged through the mouth. It eats basically whatever's just floating around, plankton, mm. stuff like that. And it can be, when it's alarmed or attacked, the tentacles are reject retracted, and the body column itself can be retracted into a very small sphere mm. on the rock, and it's still held that way. Um and they generally don't move or do anything. They just generally sit there. And but and they eat. But they actually do have two methods for moving. One is called looping and one is called somersaulting. They do this by bending over and attaching themselves to the substrate with the mouth and tentacles and then relocating the foot. Oh. So kind of like cartwheels. Somersaulting. Somersaults, cartwheels. And they can move several inches in a day. Amazing. <laughs> when they're at speed. When they're at speed. <laughs> they really have to make it home on time. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is really cool. These are the things that make them super really cool and unique. By the way, totally interested in this particular form yeah. of weird little thing. When they are well fed, they can form a new bud every two days. And this mm -hmm. is how they reproduce. They, swellings in the body wall, develop either into ovaries or testes. These then release free-swimming gametes into the water, which can fertilize the egg and the ovary of another individual. Mm -hmm. Then they actually grow on the body, yep. and they release into miniature adults. Mm -hmm. So they grow as miniature adults onto the hydra. Yeah, budding. Yeah, and then they release. Yeah, So very cool. That's pretty cool. Others actually can produce eggs, mm -hmm. but... And then they go through a body change from polyp to adult form, which is called a medusa, ah. uh, which is usually the lifestyle where any sexual reproduction occurs. They, uh, yeah, the tentacles can be as long as four or five times the length of their body, which is also pretty. Yeah. And within 30 seconds, 
they can subdue and eat their prey. They're actually quite dangerous. I mean, <laughs> if they were our size, if they were snake size, these would be bad. Okay, uh, so moving on to the regeneration, and there's a lot more information I have here, but it's not that interesting. <laughs> so when they get injured or severed, they yep. can regenerate. So it's pretty cool. Like if you cut them in half, the half that has the tentacles will grow its own foot, uh-huh. and the half that has the foot will grow its own tentacles. Okay. Kind of, I think a bit like they say about snakes. Earthworms. Uh, no, earthworms, right? If yeah. you cut them in half, they'll they have like they can like grow a brain or like they can have brains. Like, but yeah, they will do that thing. Yeah. If you cut them in thirds or fourths, the middle bits will grow their own heads and Whoa. feet. Weird. Right? Isn't that weird? You can actually cut them. I couldn't find out how many. Sounds awful. Because it's a living. How many times you could slice them into pieces and they would still regenerate. But it seems like. Near indefinitely. Near indefinitely. So Daniel Martinez claimed in 1998 in an article in Experimental Genrotology. Yes. That they are basically immortal. Wow. Originally, because uh, they do not age. Originally, actually, this was like in 2010. There were another guy wrote a letter arguing that the data was wrong and that he was proved wrong. But more recently, as they've realized that Hydra may be the answer to immortality and aging, they have actually done a lot more atten- more studies on it and yeah. have found that his original thing was right. Wow. That they don't tend to age. As far as I can figure out, the way that they do this is that they stress the organism uh-huh. in stuff that would create. So they look at. So they've looked at some different stuff, where fruit flies and stuff, where when they stress them, their lifespan is significantly decreased and their health significantly decreases. Mm-hmm. But it seems like they can't stress the stress response on this. Seems okay. to create no aging. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because obviously you can't know if something doesn't age when it just looks like a... Well, it looks the same. Yeah. When it looks the same, all you can do is try and kill it. Yeah. And also you don't know how slowly it's aging because... You can't tell. You can't It doesn't age. Tell. Yeah. So I imagine it's actually a really hard... Yeah. I mean, I guess you would see like cell degeneration. And I think that's what they mean by stressing them. Yeah. They've been trying to stress them into... And I think somewhere I found that they had fifty to 100,000 cells. Okay. So these aren't one-cell organisms. These aren't like an amoeba. These are actually a... Complex organism. Yeah, not like you would consider human organisms, but complex enough. Um, And so I think by stressing them, they've never been able to find death. No death was observed. So strange. Yeah. So uh, the idea that they are immortal is well-supported today, but the implications for human aging are still controversial. Obviously, because these are 50,000-cell amoeba that live, or micro-whatever that live on the ocean, and we're not. (laughs) But in 2006, they did um, some more stuff and found that, and I wrote this down somewhere. Oh, look, my notes are doing this. The number of, there was actually quite a lot of genes between, that were in common between Hydra, a lot more than they initially thought there would be between Hydra and and humans. So... Mm. There is a chance, small chance, I'm guessing, but there is a chance that actually Hydra might be the answer to um, slowing down aging. God, I hope not. And regenerating. Be interesting if they can help regenerate limbs, though. Yeah. 
I'm also thinking like cancer cells as well, right? Yeah. So I think for me, the lack of aging is one thing, but the regeneration stuff is really interesting. Yeah, I wonder how long that would take. I don't know. <laughs> I get, think of like Harry Potter where he has to grow back his bones. It's, that only took like eight hours. Yeah. Anyway, so that was Hydra the thing. Yeah. Now we're going to move into Hydra the chess machine. The chess machine? Only because I watched a Queen's Gambit, so oh, I, I was good. interested to learn a bit more about it. It was designed by a team and... It was, uh, I think it was held out of Dubai and it was considered one of the best chess playing machines that there ever was. And it did very, very well in national chess playing competitions, Events. which is a thing I did not realize this. Guys, if you haven't watched Queen's Gambit, it's epic. Definitely you should watch it. But um, if it, apparently you can, there's varying forms of chess competitions, which I did understand, but one of them is where chess masters can use computers to help them win. Oh. There's other ones where computers will play each other. Yeah. And Hydra's been very kind of successful, successful in this. Still? Uh, no, it's played its last game in 2006 oh. because Rip the sponsors decided to end the project. Um, all right, let's talk about Hydra that most people will recognize the word Hydra from. Marvel. Marvel. Uh, Hydra is a fictional terrorist organization and put, uh, appearing in Marvel, Marvel. comics. Uh, it's obviously an allusion to the Greek mythology, yes. which is that the Hydra, the organization's motto references the myth of Hydra, stating that if a head is cut off, two more shall take its place. Mm -hmm. uh, it was originally a Nazi organization red, run by the Red Skull during World War II and is turned into a neo-Nazi criminal syndicate by Baron Wolfgang von Strucker, just a great name, once he sees control. Obviously a comic book character. Yeah. Hydra agents often wear distinct green garbage feet. Garbage. Garbage <laughs> Featuring a, ser a serpent motif. Um, Hydra first appeared in The Strange Tales in August 1965 in episode number 135 comic book. You. <laughs> and the, it was headed by a guy named Arnold Brown who was killed by S.H.I.E.L.D. And uh, they feel like in that episode that they crushed the organization only for it to return. Um, so that's kind of... Deal. Hydra. Um, Hydra is also featured in Lost. Really? Yeah. So the Dharma Initiative, which is the main creepy body that are overseeing the Lost Island, um, for anyone that I'm about to spoil the Lost plot with, I'm sorry. It's 15 years old. Yeah. So You should really only watch the first season. Well, and I'm only spoiling up until season three. Oh, perfect. Um, so <laughs> uh, season three, the... They find out that Hydra is a zoological research station located on a small island roughly two miles off the shore of the main island. It's described as being about twice the size of Alcatraz Island. And well, the, I mean, that's not very big because Alcatraz Island is tiny. Yeah, it's bigger yeah. than four than the So it's, not, it's <laughs> not big. The Hydra facility has cages outside the station in the jungle where polar bears used to be kept, which I do remember from when I watched yeah, last. There were polar bears. It, it runs out in season one. Yeah. There's an underwater complex that was once used as an aquarium, which houses sharks and dolphins. And the facility also features living and research quarters. And the symbol for the station is the Yushadama Initiative logo with a Hydra in the middle. Um, which can be seen on a large canopy behind Kate and Sawyer's cages in season three. Weirdly, also, there's a shark at some point that has this brand on its tail. Oh, J.J. Abrams. Um, 
And there's a polar bear collar found near a skeleton, which has this logo on it too. So they were just doing... It's where they were doing animal experiments and lost. It was called Hydra. Chuck. Yeah. The TV show Chuck. Yeah, I love Chuck. I love Chuck too. Well, the big program that held all the information uh, was I called... Chuck. <laughs> was called Hydra. There you go. Um, let's talk about Hydra the Island. Yeah. Sorry. We're all going on vacation next week. <laughs> Which took me down a hole of looking at where I wanted to go on holiday. Hydra the Island in Greece depends on tourism. It's a small island. It's actually mainly visited by other Greeks. Does that make sense? It's not like a well-known international... It's like destination. It's like or, a... Yeah, yeah it's not like... vacation or mm-hmm. whatever for, for the Greeks. High-speed hydrofoils and catamarans. Uh, yeah. Uh, can is how you get there. Love a catamaran. I do too. And you can actually leave your car and take a 20-minute passenger ferry across. And you should. The reason why you would leave your car is no vehicles are allowed on the island of Hydra. That sounds awesome. It looks yep. really tiny. Yep. And beautiful as well. Yeah, gorgeous. Um, the only thing that is allowed are rubbish trucks. That makes sense. Yeah. So horses, mules, and donkeys and water taxis provide public transportation and however, the inhabited area is so small that you can pretty much walk everywhere. It has a strong maritime culture. Historically, it was actually quite more populated. Yeah, um, probably a port city then, right? Yeah, it was. And uh, so... So it seems like one of the places you'd go if you were visiting Greece. Yeah, you'd go somewhere else and go there for like a day or two. Yeah. Not forever. Not really a... No, it's not going to be a destination. Um, in 2007, a National Geographic Traveler Panel of 522 experts rated Hydra the highest of any Greek island as a unique destination preserving the integrity of place. So, guys, go to Hydra. Yeah. Or you could go to Hydra in Algeria. This episode sponsored by the <laughs> Hydra Tourism Board. Or you could go to Hydra in Algeria, which sounds way less pleasant. <laughs> um, it is in the north of Algeria. And it was heavily affected during the two th- uh, the 2007 Algerian bombings, unfortunately. The Ministry of Religious Affairs is held up there. Um, it is not a place to go visit, but it is unfortunately been a place of mass destruction and pretty horrible devastation. Hydra is also a 22-person hydrogen boat. By the way, their Hydra is named after so many things. I'm literally picking out... I read... I don't know how many articles where Hydra was... was the name List, of something. Name of something. Yeah. Literally went with the things that interested me the most. It's so weird because like it is such an iconic thing. It, obviously, it, it's yeah. it spawned a lot of the names of a lot of things. Yeah. But it's like so small in the in the classical myth. Like, I, I know. don't know why it became so big. I yeah, I don't know. It it was the name. This one makes sense to me. It was the name of a twenty-two person hydrogen boat. Um. Power assisted by electric motor that gets its electricity from a fuel cell. Um, in debuted in two thousand, it's actually one of the first like hydrogen powered mm. um, vehicles, uh, and it was very well received. It transported around two thousand passengers while it was in use. It was finished. It was withdrawn from service in two thousand and one, but it was one of the first passenger transports that had a fuel cell system that had the ability to start at temperatures below freezing point. Mm. So actually it's got this one little boat. It's got quite a... Hydra is going to be showing up a lot in our future. Yeah. Including this boat, which may have actually... I mean, this was 20 years ago and it's already spawned a whole load of technological um, improvements. Here's a weird one. Hydra is a self-help and advocacy group for sex workers in Germany. 
that. Yeah. Your name. It is a weird. It is a weird name, and it's also quite a divisive uh, political thing. A lot of people think it's just to help brothel owners, not prostitutes. Oh, sex workers. Yeah, although they use the word prostitute a lot on their website. I did check. No, it doesn't. Um, particularly since it is a self-proclaimed whore organization. Jesus. Um, oh, my God. Yes. Culture is weird, man. It's also been partially funded with public funds in Germany. Huh. So, so taxpayer dollars. Taxpayer dollars. Helping inform sex workers about health issues, in particular AIDS and other sexually transmitted diseases. Um, it has a counseling center. But what's interesting and where it is controversial, I guess, is that it lobbies in, it's lobbying in government. It's helping try and create kind of like a union for sex workers in oh, Germany. that's not a bad thing. No, um, it, it's two main names are the promotion of social protection and cultural integr- in integration of prostitutes. I'm using that word because that is what they have used. <laughs> the promotion of vocational training of prostitutes as an aid to the transition to other occupations. Whoa. So it's kind of trying to basically say, like, it needs to be viewed as any other job. Yeah. Which is why it's weird that they use the word prostitute and not sex worker. It's Germany. But it's Germany. and But like I said, uh, they do say that, unfortunately, it's trying to promote, like, a red light district. Uh-huh. Um it's it's interesting. Prostitute legalizing prostitution is really interesting back and forth because there's very few real numbers on it and it's yeah. just theories. So, um, but for whatever reason, they named themselves Hydra. So those are the most interesting things named Hydra. Thanks, Sam. Yes, you were not expecting that, <laughs> were you, Sam? <laughs> Maybe she was. Maybe she knew exactly what she was doing. Maybe she knew she would take me down a rabbit hole of like weird stuff. Weird, weird stuff things. just related by the fact that they're called Hydra. Yeah, that's weird. But yeah, the Hydra bug thing is awesome. The Hydra bug thing is very cool. That is like definitely yeah. worth knowing something about. Oh, for sure. And keeping an eye on. And also making you realize that Adam's big sea fearing, sea creature fearingness. It's not without. What's the word I'm looking for? It's not without cause. No, it's not without reason. The sea is scary. The ocean is scary. Because <laughs> there are little things that provide electric shock voltage and can regenerate. You no, can't kill whale, them. Because whales exist. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Adam's, Adam's major ocean fear is the realistic looking whale and finding, finding Nemo. Nemo. I hate that thing. <laughs> I hate that thing. I hate whoever whoever animated and illustrated that thing. Um, so there we go. We're going to finish on that. We're going to do you a special coming up because my husband wants to get involved and it is Masters Weekend this weekend. That's golf. Golf. So we're going to do... He asked whether he could do something to do with the name of the Masters. Um, I think he's going to talk about a lot of it because it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm into golf in, a, in enough of a way that I like watching golf on mm-hmm. television. And, and I watch bits of golf. Yeah. I don't not and know what's this, going on. This weekend is the Masters, and it's the one of the biggest golf events of the year. There is a lot of contention behind the name and the sort of so- social hierarchy that exists in the Masters. So he's going to talk a bit about that. And I think he's just going to – it's a bit of a plug for the Swingdom as well. Yeah, his golf channel. But um, it, it should be an interesting one. And, yeah. and I don't think – I know that there's sometimes a tendency to dismiss stuff out of hand, particularly if you're not into golf. But yeah, I think it's actually... It's going to be a bit more than just talking about golf. It's going to be talking about the his- socioeconomic and historical stuff of what is perhaps the most legendary golf tournament. Yes. 
um, that exists. Yeah, and it should be quite interesting. Yeah. So that will be probably a full-length episode, but popping in as a bonus, bonus episode. Yeah. So you're probably going to get two full-length episodes this week. And then when we return next week, we don't know, do we? No, because our fans didn't haven't, haven't fed us for this week. So um, we don't know what we're going to do. So, so yeah. if you, if you do you want us to talk well, about anything else... we did have an interesting <laughs> thing, which was maybe talk about not politically wise. Oh, yeah. But maybe just based on the fact that there was an election, maybe we'll talk a little bit about um, a couple of legends to do with... Presidents. Presidents. Or, I mean, any political leader, really. Yeah. Because they all have personal lives as well. Yeah. So maybe we'll try and do a political leader episode. Maybe. And then the week after that is Thanksgiving, so Adam is going to give me a Thanksgiving episode. Oh, yeah. It is Thanksgiving, isn't it? Adam's going to give me a Thanksgiving episode, I and I will find... two weeks ago. Yeah. And I will find something to go along with that. Yeah. So we've actually got kind of maybe a couple of weeks planned out. <laughs> See how that all pans out. Yeah. All right. Check out the website. I'll be blasting in places once it's yeah, up and running. Probably come up on the Instagram. Yeah, well, for sure. Like, and rate, and review us on iTunes, please. Yes. Please come through for us. Because we, we really appreciate it, and yeah. we listen to you, and we love you. Yes, you're just all a bunch of legends. Yeah, you're legendary. You're all legendary. Don't forget to tell your grandma. Yep, bye. All right, bye.